If you're committed to transitioning to a new role outside of the classroom, let me give you some advice. Don't try to navigate this journey all on your own. The Teacher Career Coach course will walk you step-by-step through the entire process. When you sign up, you'll get help picking your career path, have access to a library of transition resumes for teachers written by a professional, and even gain access to a list of hundreds of companies that hire teachers. Most importantly, you'll join our exclusive private community to collaborate with others and network. I've dedicated my time putting together templates and resources to create the most thorough program to help save you time. Learn more about the Teacher Career Coach course at teachercareercoach.com forward slash course. After leaving teaching because of some serious burnout, she vowed to build the community she wished existed when she needed it most. She went from classroom teacher to an educational consultant, instructional designer, and six-figure business owner. Now, she's here to help you achieve happiness and work-life balance, whether inside or outside the classroom. Come join our discussion as we talk about managing teacher burnout, career transitions outside the classroom, starting a side hustle, and everything in between. Here's your host of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast and your new personal cheerleader, Daphne Gomez. Welcome to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Daphne Williams. In this episode, I interview Angela Watson. Angela is one of the most highly regarded productivity and mindset specialists for educators. In addition to being an author and a motivational speaker, she's also the host of the very popular Truth for Teachers podcast. In this interview, Angela shares all of her best strategies for making teaching a more sustainable profession. Hi, Angela. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Hey, Daphne. Thanks for having me. I have been a huge fan of yours for a really long time. I'm so excited and actually kind of nervous to even have you on the podcast. (laughs) But for anybody who's, you know, this is the first time they've ever heard your name. I'd love if you just take a couple of seconds to introduce yourself and just explain why you're so passionate about helping teachers manage their workload. Sure. So I was a classroom teacher at the elementary level for 11 years, and I just loved sharing my ideas online with other teachers. I would go into message boards and post links to things that I had done and systems I had set up. And um, as much as I was sharing like logistics and routines and things like that, I realized that we were spending a lot of time talking about what teachers do, but not really a lot of time about who teachers are. And what I found is that you could give the same types of practices and routines and principles to different people and you get completely different results because how you see the world and your mindset, um, your confidence levels, your personality, your temperament, all these things impact how you show up for kids. And I think that in the education world, sort of tendency to, to try to teacher-proof teaching, right? To like take the take the humanness out of it and let's just standardize everything. And, and all teachers will teach the same and all kids will learn the same. I think we've lost sight of how much the way that we think and feel and see the world really impacts the way we teach. And I find that fascinating. That's so much more interesting to me. Who teachers are is so much more interesting to me than the nitty gritty of the things they do. So I began to really study and reflect and read and 
most importantly, listen to teachers and really focus on what is the mindset of an effective teacher. So when I moved out of the classroom into instructional coaching and educational consulting, I was focusing on at first classroom management, and then I started to move more into the mindset piece. And from there, things just naturally evolved into a focus on productivity because I found there's really only so much mindset work you can do when you're dealing with systemic issues. So, you know, if you're super stressed out from being a teacher, it's not because, you know, you're not a good teacher, you don't know what you're doing. It's because, you know, the job is really stressful. We're asking more of teachers than is humanly possible to do. So, you know, I started looking more into the productivity and the time management, as well as really focusing on how to figure out what's super important. And the number one problem that I just kept hearing about from teachers was that they did not have enough time to do everything that needed to be done. So you can change the way that you think about that problem and you can examine perfectionistic mindsets and ways that you're overcomplicating your work. That's really, really important. But the problem's not all in your head. A big part of the problem is that more and more demands are being placed on teachers every year and the support and resources aren't being provided. So it's up to just individual teachers have to just figure it out. So that's when I started, this was around 2015, that I started a full year professional development program called the 40 hour teacher work week. And that really helps cover both the mindset shifts that you need to make in order to find a sustainable approach to your work. And also the practical things you can do in order to get organized and prioritize tasks, manage email, simplify assessment, all those kinds of things. So that's the kind of thing where I just feel like teachers shouldn't have to figure out everything on their own. You shouldn't have to keep having to reinvent the wheel. It's not okay with me that teachers are told to just figure it out. So I wanna give teachers the tools to help them figure it out and also advocate for systemic changes so that teachers aren't put in that position where they have to choose in the first place. I wanted to go a little bit deeper into what you said because I 100% agree that one of the biggest challenges is, you know, work-life balance and how much teachers are taking home every day Mm -hmm. and how it kind of ends up being their entire life. This career choice ends up kind of taking away from every other, you know, bucket of their life. But before we go into that, I really quickly wanted to say in my own personal experience, when I was struggling and burning out and looking for resources, The one resource I remember finding back in, it must have been 2016, because I left in 2017, was the 40-hour teacher work week program. So I found your resource way back then when I was looking for support because I was struggling with the exact same area. That's awesome. And, And you were so not alone. You're so not alone. And I'm really glad that you found it because I know that you have really spent a lot of time trying to figure out what's important to you and what you want to be focusing on. And I think that clarity piece is so important. Some people will, as you talk about all the time on your podcast and your resources, some people will decide to stay and find a sustainable way to approach their work. Some people decide to leave. And just knowing that you're not alone and having to make those decisions and figure it out by yourself, I think is so critical. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you see teachers facing when it comes to managing their work-life balance? You know, as, as you were mentioning here about how it's like it becomes your whole life, I feel like teaching is a job that's never really done. 
and you feel like you've never done enough. So you can work a 12 hour day and feel like there's always something more that you could have done. And I think it's really easy to fall into this trap where you're comparing yourself to other educators and all these things that you wish you were doing to support your students. If only you could do more to help your kids, then they would all magically be thriving at the optimal level. And it just creates this impossible trap because the expectations keep getting raised. And we keep moving the goalposts on ourselves too. And I think what's unique about teaching is that you're not proving that you're good at your job so that you can get ahead or get a raise. That's the case in other fields, right? Like, you know, if, if you really do an exceptional job, hopefully you can make more money, you can get promoted, you could be a manager, you could be CEO. What's unique about teaching is that what's on the line is your dedication to kids. That's really what we're trying to prove, that we care about kids and we're willing to do whatever it takes. And that's a line that I think a lot of teachers have been explicitly fed from people in positions of authority over them. You need to do whatever it takes. And you can't do a good job by working to your contractual hours. That's another thing that I think we all heard even before we got into teaching, right? Like teachers would tell you, you've gotta be prepared to work your nights and weekends. You just, that's just what the job is. So if you're putting your own needs or your family first, then by default, you just must not care about kids because you knew what this profession was before you signed up for it. And to try to create boundaries on your time afterwards is like, you're just not in the profession for the right reasons. And those right reasons are thought to be purely altruistic reasons, you know, like this is volunteer work or not like a, a whole career path <laughs> and job. So I really wanna challenge the correlation between effectiveness and hours worked because it's not how late you're staying in the building that makes a difference. It's whether you're focused on the things that make the biggest impact for kids. I think a lot of like what teachers struggle with is when it comes to being asked something, they always make that correlation to whether or not it means that they want to support kids. You know, they feel like they do have to say yes to everything that's thrown on their plate or else they don't care about kids or they don't feel comfortable advocating for themselves due to thinking that they're speaking out and, and being perceived as being lazy. And I think that that piece of just kind of pulling back the curtains and looking at like, what is effective teaching? What is our main goal? What is our objective? That's something that you've really gotten great at, at figuring out how to pull back that extra work and do it with a way that's empathetic towards everybody, not just the children, but the teachers also. That's right. Because so many of the things that consume teachers' time really aren't making a huge difference for kids anyways. You know, it's not like we're saying, well, let's just not plan great lessons. Let's just walk into the classroom and just <laughs> wing it. No, put the time and energy into lesson planning. That's like, that, that's going to pay off in huge ways. But there's so many other things that have been piled on teachers' plates. And it's, it is really difficult to see the forest and the trees to figure out what it is that matters. But that's the only way you're going to find a path out. What are like a couple of examples that you can think of, of things that teachers spend time on that don't necessarily move the needle forward. You know, it, it would be so nice if I could give a list, like a nice, neat, universal list, something that just like applies to everyone, right? Like just don't do this, this, and this. But I think teachers, as much as, as they want to hear that, they also know that's not going to apply to me. Like it's, if it were that simple, everyone would just not do those things, right? It really is a, a personal process and it requires reflection. So one of the easiest places to start is to look for ways that you're going above and beyond what's required without seeing a commensurate impact for kids. 
So if your district has a policy, for example, that you should reply to all emails within 24 hours, but you're keeping notifications on your phone or you're refreshing email once an hour, that's not expected of you. The expectation is within 24 hours. So if you're responding to every single message as they come in, that's going above and beyond what's required. And it's probably not making that huge of an impact for kids. It's actually probably pulling you away from focusing on the things that do make a big impact. So you can change that habit. Maybe you're checking three times a day or maybe five times a day, whatever, you'll know what's right for you. And then you're responding to those emails in batches instead of one by one all day long as they come in. Will some parents expect an immediate response? Yes, especially if you train them to expect that. If you email someone and they always get back to you within the hour and then they don't reply to you to the next day until one time, you get indignant about it, right? Like you feel entitled to a faster response. Like they always get back to me right away. Why did it take a whole day? So it's important to decide in advance what is going to be sustainable for you? What's actually necessary here? The, the district is just saying uh, within 24 hours, what can I actually do that is going to make sense for me, my students, my families? And then communicate those boundaries to families and students. Tell them up front how long you're going to take for things and give yourself a little bit of extra time. So if they know the standard is 24 hours and you happen to reply in 12 hours, then you're doing better than what they expected. And that's going to make them happier. I wanted to touch even more on that, you know, that piece, the dedication to kids piece, because this is a struggle. Mm -hmm. Everything in teaching feels so high stakes because every single person who got into this position did not do it for the high salary. They got into it because they're empathetic. They love children. They have a huge heart. So we feel like when we pull back or when we disappoint someone or if we are, you know, quote unquote, underperforming, we assume that prioritizing our own needs is going to actually have a negative impact on others. And, and during this time, we have a lot of guilt associated with actually prioritizing ourselves. So like, what advice do you give for all those teachers who struggle with teacher guilt of just starting to kind of scale back their workload? Yeah, the, the guilt is tremendous. So if you feel guilty when saying no, know that it is not just you. Um, especially if you are a female teacher, you've been conditioned to people please. You've been conditioned to make other people happy, to be paying attention to other people's emotional response and make things nice and keep, you know, just keep everything real peaceful and calm and everybody getting along. There's a lot of emotional labor that goes into that. And to, to say no feels like a rejection of it. it. It definitely takes time and it takes practice. I found that the more that I say no, the easier it becomes. And I think in terms of knowing what to say no to or what to cut back on, we really have to have these practices of reflection. And you have to be really confident in who you are and what you stand for and what you value. And that's the, that's the piece that I feel like gets lost a lot of times. It goes back to what I was saying earlier about how who teachers are matters more than what they do. Because if you don't have like a core set of strong values that drive your work as a teacher, you're going to flip this way to try to please your principal and then flip that way to please the parents when they don't like that. And then, you know, then kind of give into the kids because then the kids are pushing back on this. You cannot please all administrators, all parents and all students at once and yourself. Like it's just not possible. So you really have to know what is important. And I think the confidence to say, you know, I'm not able to do that or I'm choosing not to do that with my time comes from knowing that you are doing the things 
that make the biggest impact for kids. So the, the really key essential step is uncovering what those practices are. What are you doing that does make a big impact for kids so that you don't feel guilty when you create boundaries? You're not going to say no to the things that are super important. You're going to say no to the rest of the things. So that might be a practical starting place for teachers to think about. And it may not be something that they can think about until summer because you really need to be in a headspace where you have some distance from the problem and you've had a break from it in order to be able to think of creative solutions. At least that's been my experience. So I would recommend teachers plan to do this kind of reflection process maybe over the summer, and it doesn't have to be in a super structured way. My best ideas often come when I'm just going for a walk or I'm out in nature. You just wanna give yourself some space over the summer for your mind to wander and do this reimagining that we all keep hearing about since COVID, right? Like we want this reimagining of schools to happen, but you have to have mental space for that. So find that space for yourself and, and think about what practices were really stressful for you this school year and things that you want to find ways to streamline. Think about the parts of your job that you absolutely hate and focus on how to create boundaries um, that will help you simplify. Um, you know, and that way you can make sure that you are brainstorming solutions for things going forward and really thinking about what are the things I want to carry into next year and what are the things that I'm going to have to find a better way to do. I love a lot of the points that you just made right now. I had a podcast that I did. It's episode seven for anyone interested in listening. It's all about, you know, battling your teacher guilt, whether it's scaling back your workload or ultimately leaving the profession. And in that episode, one of the key points that I have is at some point, you know, our priorities and taking care of ourselves is going to clash with the needs of others. And we have to do that. But one thing I've never really thought of that you talked about right now is a lot of this comes with confidence and like imposter syndrome and, and being able to express, I know I am doing enough. Like I need to know that I'm doing enough in order to confidently say that to other people who might be pushing back and saying, no, you need to do more. Like you need to own that and have that confidence and advocate for yourself. And if you haven't sat and you know reflected on that, on the fact that you are doing enough, you're not going to have that ready to go if a parent or a administrator pushes back on it. That's right. And it, it, to me, it, a lot of it is mindfulness too. It's noticing what feels good in my body and what doesn't in terms of, you know, when you say yes to something and then you get that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach, like what did I just get myself into? Notice that. That's your intuition. Your intuition is is overriding, you know, the, the, the part of your brain that feels like you have to say yes. Your body's telling you, you know, I, I have this like bad feeling in the pit of my stomach. This is just going to make the day too stressful. I'm not going to have time to do a good job. And that means I'm going to do it poorly. And then I'm going to feel even worse. Honor that in yourself. You know, that that's a that's a clue to say to the person, you know what? I may have overcommitted here. I, I think I'm in over my head. I said that I was going to be able to do X, Y, and Z by this date. And I think I'm going to have to do something else. And you'll notice when you do that, a lightness in your body. And you can train yourself to pay attention to this over time. You start to feel like, oh, okay, what a weight off my shoulders now that I admitted you know, this thing, and I've decided to make a different plan, pay attention to those feelings because 
you know, as the title of the book says, the body keeps the score. The body will tell you. Um, and I think sometimes we just get caught up in our own heads and all the things that we think we should be able to do. Like we're, you know, these robots that can just be programmed to perform, but start to notice what feels heavy, what feels light, and just move toward the lightness as much as possible. It's just a daily practice, just something to pay attention to. And it gets easier and easier over time the more you do it. I love that. And I've started to, you know, use my own body cues, even with something as simple as, you know, asking a couple of people for advice, even, you know, we're remodeling our house and this is such a simple example, but I asked people if they liked this green and pink color combination or a sand and pink or a sand and green color combination. And everybody said sand and green. And my body was like, "Mm, I really wanted them to say the other one. So I made Mm. my choice there. Like, it's such a simple, like, I thought I was asking someone's opinion, but the second my body tensed up, like, I had a favorite. That's right. And once you realize and get in cue with, okay, taking this meeting off of my weekly schedule feels good, lean into that. Like, once you start to realize what feels really good for you personally, that's what you should be doing more of. You should be leaning into whatever extra time you need and whatever types of activities were kind of holding you back. So I love that. I wanted to get more into just specific strategies like that, because that's where you really, I mean, you are such a wealth of knowledge. What is one of your favorite strategies to utilize classroom time to make the most of, you know, a teacher's true working hours? So I, I think one of the most important things to know is never write off a block of time because you think it's too short. And I think that's what happens a lot during the school day is teachers feel like, you know, I I have a, supposedly I have a 30 minute planning time. It may or may not happen depending on all of these other factors. And by the time I do this, this, and this, there's only 10 minutes left. What's the point? So think about something that needs to be done every single day. Um, that does take 10 minutes. What is something that you can knock out in that amount of time and then build that into your routine? I think the frustration comes when we try to do something like grading, you know, when you know you only have 15 minutes, maybe you have one stack of papers you can get through and that will give you a sense of accomplishment. That's fine. But the idea is to just think about, you know, I don't want to start something and leave it half done. It's really unsatisfying to work a little bit on like 20 different things because then it's like you worked all day long, but you didn't actually finish anything. There's nothing moved off your plate. So look for really concrete tasks that you can move off your plate. And my advice would be to to not do the things that you know you can't do well at school. Don't try to do those during contractual hours. Like I never did lesson planning at school ever because I just, I, I can't, think well enough when I'm there. I like to do uh, backwards design. I like to do, you know, unit planning and really think holistically about how the different skills weave in. That's not something that I can do, you know, when the intercom's going off every five minutes after school. I need a break. I want to get out of there. I want to go home. I want to relax. I want to clear my head and and do that at a different time. You know, I'm happy to spend some time on a Sunday afternoon, um, you know, once a month really going down and, and doing like a deep dive on lesson planning. That's fine. Um, and not trying to do that kind of thing during the school day. So getting really clear about what tasks make sense to do when, according to your own energy levels. Some people like to go in early, some people can't because they have other obligations or maybe you're not a morning person. Figure out what works for you and have a variety of different strategies. So, you know, maybe you had planned to stay late one day and it was just not a good day. You're like, 
rather than forcing yourself to try to stay and get it done, just roll with it. Just say, you know what? The best thing for me is to get out of here, to go home, to put this day behind me and start fresh tomorrow. And you can stay late another day. So really paying attention to what is the best use of your time and not forcing yourself to try to do things that don't really fit into that block, I think is powerful. Every person is a unique person. Every teacher is a unique teacher. For me, I struggled with shiny object syndrome. Like mm. when it came to teaching, I would have these great lesson plans, but then I would learn about something new that was really exciting that I wanted to bring into the classroom the next day. So maybe I spent an additional two hours doing a really last minute lesson plan because I wanted to do this project-based learning activity that was really gonna impress my gifted and talented parents. And that meant that I was two hours behind on grading or two hours behind on all the other priorities that would have happened during that last minute prep session. And for me, like I needed to have a little bit more control over that of just realizing this might not be a priority right now. I need to table this, put it in a binder of ideas to look at later when I have you know, the bandwidth to do it. But right now, this should not be a priority. That's so smart to think about it like that. And, and we talk a lot in the 40-hour program about um, real work versus hobby work. You know, the things that you're doing because teaching for many of us is a hobby. It is a creative outlet. It's something we enjoy doing. And saying, you know what, this, this project that I'm going to do, you know, for my gifted and talented uh, program is something that's probably going to take two hours. Is that what I want to spend my time on this evening? Because I could do that instead of all the other things that I had planned to do this evening. And sometimes you might want to, and that's absolutely fine to do that with intentionality. But it's so smart to do exactly what you said and realize, okay, I actually have a limited amount of time today. I can't do it all. And if I start going down this, you know, chasing this shiny object, ooh, look at that over there, that I'm not going to get the things done that absolutely have to be done for tomorrow. So even though this thing would be more fun to do, I'm going to have to table it for a little bit. And that kind of intentionality that's the name of the game. That's really all it is. It's just constantly weighing what's the most important thing to do now and making sure that those things get your attention. And this isn't something that I learned while I was teaching. It, it's taken me, you know, the last six years of having a lot of things on my plate. And this is one of the reasons why teachers have to seek these outside resources is because these types of challenges aren't really addressed in most professional development programs. They're not addressed. You're, you're just kind of given a lot of exciting lesson plans and a lot of exciting ideas and said, you know, go with it. And I hope you can cover all of these other tasks as well. And, and that's where teachers kind of have a lot of trouble with scaling back their own time management and learning productivity and time management um, strategies. Mm -hmm. That's right. What are some of your favorite strategies for after school hours or summer planning that helps teachers save time from their workload in the future? You know, I think two of the things that, that take up the most time for teachers are lesson planning and grading. So, um, and those are things that often have to be done after school. So if you know what and where you're teaching next school year, then this approach that I'm about to share will work. And if you don't yet know, just think about broad plans. Um, but the idea is to be really intentional about what you're gonna have students do. 
So they don't need to do every workbook page just because the workbook's there. They don't need to do every activity that you did last year just because all of your colleagues do them. They don't need to do every project that you have purchased from Teachers Pay Teachers just because you don't want the money to go to waste. Really think about the routines and learning practices that made a big impact for kids. Maybe not this year because this was a, a wacky year, but just in general, you know, if, if you've been teaching for a couple of years, you know the kind of stuff that really helps kids develop deep understandings um, and, and really engages them and really just sparks their curiosity. Think about how you can do more of what works instead of always reinventing the wheel. So for lesson planning, you can create a flow for your day and a flow for your week, and that will really simplify how long it takes for you to plan lessons. So that way you're not necessarily starting from scratch with this blank lesson plan every single day for 180 plus days. You're planning to use the same structures every Monday and a different set of structures every Tuesday and so on. So when you're planning, you know, Wednesdays are quiz days, Thursdays are for station rotations, you know, and so on. And you can have the same flow um, on, on each of those days. Maybe it's 15 minutes of bell work or morning work, 15 minutes of vocabulary practice, whatever fits your, your, um, your needs. And obviously you can change stuff out anytime you want to. You don't have to stick to it. It's not a hard and fast rule, but it's such a time saver for lesson plans. It's so much easier to plan for Thursday when you know that that's the day the kids catch up on projects and you always end the, the class with a peer conferencing session. So you can see how they're doing with their journal writing or with their project-based learning or whatever. Having that kind of stuff already figured out and already typed into your lesson plan template means you don't have to rewrite it. You don't have to reinvent the wheel every single day. The structure or the flow is decided in advance. So that's one thing you can begin thinking about in the summer is how can I structure my days and how can I structure my weeks so that it's not like every single day, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And then also decide in advance what you're going to grade. And this really goes hand in hand with what you're going to teach because um, you don't need to grade everything. You're going to grade the most important things. And as you think about these activities that really move the needle for kids, those are the kinds of things that you want to be grading. So you can be thinking as you're doing your lesson planning, where your assessment piece is going to come from. If you do backward design, you know, we start with the, uh, the end in mind anyways, and then work backwards to get kids there. So it's sort of a more casual way of, of doing that. So, um, you know, my district, every district I've ever taught in required two grades per subject per week. So at the elementary level, that meant I had to take two grades in math, uh, two in science, two in reading, two in writing, so on. Um, so that's all I needed to do. And I had colleagues who were taking a grade in every subject every day. We taught six subjects. That's six grades a day. And they spent all of their evenings grading papers. I really tried to concentrate on other ways to get engagement up because, I mean, teachers know where their kids are at. I don't have to grade every single paper to know if kids are getting it or not. I could tell just from the looks on their faces when I'm asking them questions <laughs> if they're getting it or not. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, my kids were eight years old. I, it's, it's, it, this is not rocket science here. I can tell if a kid is understanding multiplication or they need more practice, right? So I don't need to grade every single little thing. I looked for multi-day assignments that the kids didn't just finish in 20 minutes, which just created this sudden stack of papers for me to grade. I looked for bigger projects, things they could work on over several days or even weeks, and maybe just grade one aspect of that project. So it doesn't even take me that long to assess, but they get days and days of skill practice. So I would say to the teachers listening to this, examine the approach to your workload and consider what things you are doing that might be making the work harder than it needs to be. 
There's a lot of fear in teaching around messing up and not doing something right or not giving your all for your kids. But you can't let that fear that you're not doing enough be your driver or your motivator when you're making decisions about how to spend your time, both your personal time and your class time. It can't be fear driven where it's like, I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to. Look for things that make the biggest impact for kids, give 100% in those areas, and then streamline, simplify, or eliminate the rest of it. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I taught fifth grade for three years across two very different demographics. And it wasn't until my third year teaching that I realized I was allowed to let the students actually grade a lot of the work themselves. Like we would have 15 minutes of me going over the answers. And if it wasn't something that was really important, that was good enough. I heard it from another teacher and it blew my mind. Like, wait, what? This whole time for things that aren't high stakes grading projects, I don't have to do it. And the students have a good outcome from it as well. Like, how did I miss that? That's right. That's just, that's such a great strategy. Having kids do more grading on their own, they get so much more from it when they're making the corrections themselves than if you just hand them a paper that's already corrected. And that's such a great use of class time, right? That's one less activity you have to plan for kids. You can turn the self-assessment piece into a learning experience itself. It's such a valuable use of class time. It's such a win-win. Yeah, it, I think that there needs to be more space for teachers to learn different strategies and learn what works and see what works for them. But a lot of times it gets, you know, bogged down with district professional developments that might not be as helpful or as supportive. And that's where teachers really, you know, the ones that are very passionate about this, but are struggling and looking for support, they do need to reach out and find outside resources. And they do need to reach out and find these types of strategies and, you know, that has been a challenge for a lot of people to find where to go for this kind of support. I wanted to take some time to talk all about your program, the 40 hour teacher work week, which could help many, many teachers who are going into the classroom next year with building systems and mental shifts and everything that they would need, you know, to help making teaching more sustainable. Yeah, this is such a great time to be thinking about that, you know, as we figure out like, what is post-pandemic teaching going to look like? Are, are, are we ever going to actually reimagine education or are we just going to keep paying lip service to it? Are we going to try to go back to 2019? Are we going to try to keep what was in 2020? Like, what's happening going forward. And I think it's so important for teachers to have a voice in shaping things. We cannot just sit back and let other people make the decisions about what school is gonna look like. I think it's so important for teachers to bring their ideas to the table, to advocate for themselves and to say, I know what works for kids. I'm the one doing this job. I know these students in this curriculum better than anyone else. These are the things that we need to be focused on. These are the things that really make the impact. These are the practices we need to let go of and um, really be intentional about deciding what to keep and what to toss out. So 40 Hour really just provides a community of educators to do that kind of work with and bounce ideas off of and learn what teachers are doing in other schools that is helping them and their students um, make better use of their time and um, just have a place to collaborate, as you're saying, like to not feel like you're having to do it by yourself. So. Um, it's a full year program. It's called the 40 hour teacher work week full year. Um, and it runs once a year. It starts in July and it runs through the following June. And the idea is that you're getting professional and personal development support 
through every single season of the school year. Because what you care about in July is very different from what you care about in November and from what you care about in March. And I really wanted to provide ongoing support so teachers felt like they had someone addressing all those different challenges. It wasn't just like read this one book or go to this one day training. It's something where you really, um, you know, there's an audio component as well as PDF. So you could listen and have that these same ideas kind of spoken over you over the course of the entire year. So you can really internalize the mindset um, because that's the piece that helps you when it's time to do all of the things that we talked about here, Daphne, about, you know, listening to your body, trusting your intuition, knowing what's important. These are just practices. These are things you have to do over and over and over again for them to come natural. And I think having a, a full year support makes that so much more likely. So it talks about the mindsets, but it also talks about the practical things, like how how do I streamline lesson planning? What do I do with grading? Um, so we really go through all of these different topics, parent communication, email management, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that way you don't have to figure it out on your own. These are proven systems. Nearly 50,000 teachers have gone through this program now in the past, since 2015. So these are teacher tested. We've had teachers in any kind of grade level subject area, type of school that you can possibly think of have gone through the program and, you know, adapted the ideas and really made them their own. So, um, I, I know that it works. I know that it helps teachers. And it is really just such a joy and, and such an honor to be able to see um, teachers realize how much more power they actually have over how their days are structured. Because, I mean, as the saying goes, right, like how you spend your time or how you spend your days is how you live your life. And I think being able to feel like you have some control and you have some agency over that is just really empowering. And I know that we're going to be releasing this episode in May and it doesn't open up until July. But I think one really important thing to really touch on is there are a lot of administrators that are supportive and that they want to help their teachers, but they don't have the resources available to them to help or they don't know what professional development the teachers are actually looking for and you actually have it open where you know administrators if they have an administrator that they feel comfortable asking can actually sign up to purchase it with pd funds can you talk a little bit about that option for any teachers who are listening who might want to in this last month actually share this with their principal yes uh, you may be surprised at just how many principals are amenable to this particularly now that the teacher attrition crisis and the teacher shortage crisis has worsened. Um, there are many, many more people at the district level who are waking up to the things that we've all been shouting from the rooftops for years, which is we cannot treat teachers as disposable resources. They are not replaceable. You don't just use them up, burn them out and bring in a new one because guess what? No one wants to sign up for that. <laughs> so I, there are a lot more people now talking about this, wanting to spend money on this. We get emails from principals all the time. Um, you know, in, including deeply caring administrators who are just like, I, my teachers are suffering and they really need help. So um, we do take purchase orders. We have an entire page for the 40 hour program that is designed for administrators that talks about the data and the research behind the program and all that kind of stuff that makes it a little easier to justify uh, the funds. We take purchase orders and administrators can go through this process for purchase orders at any time. So even though the program begins in July and we have an early bird period in June, as a matter of fact, you can join beginning June 15th. 
Um, but administrators can sign up anytime. So we know that it takes longer sometimes for the funding to come through and that's absolutely fine. We'll totally work with you. So yes, this is not something that you necessarily have to pay for out of pocket. And you may be surprised at how much your administrators want to help you find ways to balance it all. Because I think if there's anything this past year has illuminated is that the job of teaching as it is required of teachers now is not sustainable. This is not something that we can keep doing forever. It has to be reimagined. It has to be rethought and to find a way that actually works for teachers and kids. And, um, you know, the, as I said, it's a proven system. So administrators don't have to figure it out on their own either. There's someone else who can kind of take over that training for them. Yeah, there are so many teachers that this is the puzzle piece that has been missing. And there's, you know, there's no shame in leaving a career for any reason. And, you know, I shout that I'm a huge advocate for if it's financial, if it's just, you know, you're like me and you like change and you wanted to grow in a different way. There's there's absolutely no reason. But there are a lot of people who they've just been looking for this puzzle piece. This is the one thing that they've really been struggling with. It's work-life balance and they have a supportive school environment or they're changing schools and they're trying a new school environment this next year, but they still have been struggling with this. And this is something that I hope everybody listening just looks into. And I wanted to have a really easy way for everybody to find it. So it's going to be linked in today's show notes. It's going to be at teachercareercoach.com forward slash Angela Watson, all one word. But Angela, I wanted to just Thank you so much for being here and thank you for everything that you do for teachers because there are so many teachers who have been positively impacted by your podcast, The Truth For Teachers podcast, and your program, The 40-Hour Teacher Work Week. I've heard from so many people. Every time I give you a little shout out, I get DMs where people say, she changed my life. Oh, and that is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I should screenshot them and show them all to you. I get it almost every single time I give you a shout out. I get someone who said, I took her program. It honestly saved me from leaving. Well, I really appreciate that, Daphne. And I'm so glad that you and I have connected because I know, I, I just think we have such a nice partnership. I love that you're so supportive of recommending 40 Hour to, to people who listen to your podcast and follow your resources and aren't quite sure if they want to leave. Because I mean, I remember that feeling like, should I go? Should I not go? Is it the right time? It is really, really scary. And I, I love that, you know, I'm able to support the teachers who are trying to find ways to stay and that you're there to guide them. You know, when they decide I may want to leave, it's time to start thinking about transitioning out. That is such a huge need as well. And um, I also find, uh, same as you do, that when I share your resources with people, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that there's someone to do this. And they found um, your resources as well. So it's just, it's so nice for teachers to have choices, right? <laughs> Feeling think, like you're not stuck. Yeah, I think the most important thing to always remember is like, there's not going to be a one size fits all answer for any of this because everybody's their own unique person and their own unique circumstances. Their hearts are all in different places. There are lots of different answers. There's just one common problem that I think our audience has is, they're finding us because they're unhappy in some situation. Mm -hmm. And we're just trying to steer them in the right direction of what can we do to help you find happiness in whatever you choose to do. And you know, you have helped so many teachers find their passion again, and that's huge. And just thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for that, Daphne. I appreciate it. This was a great conversation. Mm -hmm.
huge thank you to Angela Watson for sharing so much great advice with our audience today. For anyone deciding to stay in teaching another year, I want to share some advice with you. I want you to commit to go all in on teaching this year and have agency in your decision. Start to adapt systems to manage your workflow. Truly prioritize your own self-care and mental health. You know that I know that managing work-life balance isn't always going to be the solution. People leave careers for whatever reasons all the time, but it's time to take ownership in your decision to stay while making necessary changes to improve your situation so that you're not truly miserable for another year. You're more likely to have a better school year with this approach, and worst case scenario, it's gonna help you walk away with clarity in the future that you gave teaching your ultimate best shot. If you are interested in joining the 40-hour teacher work week, I've included links and other great resources, like a letter written for your principal to ask them to consider purchasing the program for your school with school funding in this episode's show notes. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast.